Welcome to the In The Scope podcast, new perspectives in the scope of different lenses. I am your host, Joshua M. Hicks. Make sure to subscribe to War on Anchor, the home of the In The Scope podcast, on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the TuneIn app. And also, make sure to check out the War Media site at weareregalradio.com to get all the hottest and latest content on all things sports. Again, this is Joshua M. Hicks, and welcome to the In The Scope Podcast. Hope you enjoy it. We'll bring you down. We've got to stop and look around. Look around. Look Y'all know what time it is. It is the In The Scope podcast with your boy, Joshua M. Hicks, senior writer for War Media. You can check out my Instagram and the Twitter at Josh M. Hicks Media. And man, I got a heck of a show for you guys this, this go around. I got a great guest. He covers the NBA for, uh, for Bleacher Report. And he is based in Portland. In Portland got a lot of you know interesting things going on since the offseason <laughs> when you talk about the, the team in general. But I got someone here that's going to break all that down for me as well as the NBA. He is a very known writer for Bleach Report, covers the NBA, Sean Hyken. Sean, how you doing, my brother? Doing all right. How about you? Likewise, man. I really appreciate you getting on my show. Like, I, like we talked beforehand, you know, I follow your work. I follow your content. And, you know, you put out some really great, uh, great, great things out there. And I'm glad to be able to finally see in person in virtually per, in person and meet and talk with you about all things NBA, man. It's a really, truly an honor and a blessing for real. Yeah. Good to be with you. All right, man. I'm not, let's not beat, beat around the bush about it. You know, the, a couple of weeks ago was really interesting for the NBA regarding how people handle themselves in the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the sons come out. Uh, with the investigation on Robert Sarver and his his you know accusations and fortunately even him even for you at in Portland um, yeah. Neil o- O'Shea I think you mm-hmm. say his last name yeah. right O'Shea yeah. he came you know he's under investigation for um, his uh, you know activity in the workplace um, for me Sean for our view for our audience in general talk about what. Where were you? Like, what was going through your mind when you first heard of the news that Neil Olshay was going to be investigated? Like, what was what was the first moments like for you? So it was kind of crazy because that night, it was uh, November 5th was that night. They had, the, it was the first night of a home and home back-to-back. They played the Pacers one night and then they were going to play the Lakers the next night. And so at the Pacers game, which was the first game, I just saw Neil there pregame, just kind of hanging out courtside, talking with some staffer from the Pacers, just kind of acting normal. And I, you know, there was no idea that anything was going on, no rumor of anything or just anything like that. But then, you know, I'm you know, probably like 10, 10, 30, 11 at night, whenever it is, I'm driving home from the game because, you know, after, after the game, we do all the media stuff and then you write whatever you write. So I'm driving home from the game. And as I'm pulling up, I look at my phone and I see the alert from Sean Strania from The Athletic 
saying that the Blazers have launched an internal investigation into Neil Olshay's treatment of employees in the workplace. And so I just like, okay, well, that just came out of nowhere. And then from there, it's like, you know, I, you know, I, I thought I was going to be able to go to bed a little early that night. It ended up not happening. So I'm like calling, texting people who are trying to figure out what's going on. And then the next day, so they play the Lakers the next night. And it's just kind of a strange atmosphere because nobody really knows what's going on. Neil's obviously not there that night. And people that I like, you know, there are plenty of team staffers and team employees that I'm friendly with and that I normally talk to at games all the time, just like it's nothing. And a lot of people are just kind of keeping their distance because they're not really, they like don't want to be seen talking to reporters. It's just, it's just a really weird situation. I have, I haven't been back to the practice facility since all of this broke because the Blazers have been on the road a lot during that time. They haven't had a practice. Apparently this is a rep- one of, one of the things that Chris Haynes at Yahoo reported was that Neil has just been at the practice facility, just, you know, doing the job like normal and just being there around people. I'll be interested to see if, you know, he's at the practice tomorrow, but that's kind of where stuff is at right now. We really don't know a whole lot about what's going on. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really out of the blue, like you mentioned, when that when that news broke out, and I just what really went through my mind because obviously Robert Sarver's situation came up first, and then this happened like a couple of days after, and you're like, man, what's going on in the NBA? But another thought of mine that came to came about was the fact that Portland just can't get a break, <laughs> just because well, this whole off season <laughs> you had everything going wrong going on with is Damian does Damian Lillard want to stay? Is the superstar happy? Is he going to get traded? Right. Is he going to actually stay? But maybe closer towards the deadline, depending on how things go, is he going to want to bounce? Um, there's rumors about CJ McCollum potentially being in trade packages for Ben Simmons. And then you talk, and then not to mention, you just hired your first year head coach, Chauncey Billups, who I believe is a well-respected guy. And I, and I loved seeing him being hired by the Trailblazers. But there's question marks of people who question his coaching ability and, and the coaching hire, considering you know, the stagnation of Terry Stott's era in the playoffs and how Damian Lillard wants to go to that next level. And reportedly, Chauncey Bills was not the first guy on his list. So I just felt like Portland could just not catch a break. And this was like the icing on the cake for them as they're heading into this season. Well, the problem with the Chauncey Billups hire was kind of the other stuff that you know came into it also because remember there was that uh, rape allegation from his past as a player that kind of got brought up on social media that uh you know they got brought up on social media and then at their introductory press conference you know they sort of addressed it but then they didn't and then they weren't very transparent about how well they investigated it and obviously that alienated a lot of people in terms of the fan base and some people who work for the team and that that was definitely a situation of you know Neil Olshay was always going to hire Chauncey Billups and that was his guy and he basically just like dismissed any of these you know pretty serious concerns about some of the stuff in his background that you know would have stood in the way of him uh making the hire that he wanted to make. And I think a lot of this is sort of tying into, you know, a lot of bad, you know, bad feelings and not goodwill that has, you know, has kind of been engendered by some of the stuff that he's done. And then, yeah, you add on to it, the on-court stuff, Dame was not happy that they lost in the first round to Denver last year when Denver had two of their three or four or whatever best players injured. And there were all the rumors this summer. I don't believe 
that Dame is still in the place where he's thinking about leaving. I think there was a time this summer when he was maybe looking around, but I think after, you know, he won the gold medal at the Olympics and then he, uh, you know, got married. And so, you know, he had a lot going on this summer. I think he just kind of cooled off after that. He's been pretty definitive about not wanting to leave Portland since the season started. I So I don't think that's really going to be a factor. Obviously, people are still talking about it because people always still talk about that stuff. But there's just a whole lot of stuff up in the air right now. The roster, like the team is not that good. They're, you know, basically a 500 team at this point. They, uh, we don't, whatever is going to end up happening with, this Neil Olshay investigation. And I believe that at the end of it, he is going to end up not keeping his job. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I believe that that's going to be the end result of, of this whole thing. And then, I mean, after that, it's like, once that happens, who do they bring in? Like, do they bring in a new GM? And then does that GM have different philosophies about like which players they want to keep? Or maybe does like does CJ McCollum, who Neil Olshay has never really had any interest in trading, does he become more available? And then do other things get shaken up? And on top of it, this is the part that I think is, you know, it's pretty well known in Portland, but it's not very well publicized outside of the market. They're just like, ownership like the the organization has completely changed since paul allen who had owned the team since the late 80s passed away in 2018 his sister jody is running the team now and she is pretty hand like paul allen was one of the most hands-on owners in the nba like he would have opinions about players that they should draft and he was very hands-on in a lot of the basketball stuff and he really cared about the team you know for better or worse wherever you come down on that jody just does not have a lot of interest in basketball and she's very hands-off and since she took over when her brother passed away neil has basically been able to do whatever he wants and that and he hasn't really had anybody checking him and then you've also got uh that you know chris mcgowan the president of business operations who ran all kind of the marketing stuff it was pretty separate from the basketball stuff just last week he stepped down which i think was more of a planned transition i don't think that was related to the old shea stuff but there's just a lot going on all at once and meanwhile the team is trying to figure out what they are on the court as a basketball team and i don't know it's just a lot to kind of deal with yeah that's yeah i'm glad you mentioned all those different things and it's and not to mention as well you know from an ownership perspective how vastly different they were like it kind of reminds me in ways of what um maybe what the lakers went through when uh Dr. Jerry Buss died and you had Jeannie yeah. take over, take that over and the fight between the brothers and who's hands <laughs> the on. Siblings and then she eventually, well, the, di- the difference between that, those two situations though, are that the Buss family, all, you know, Jeannie and Jim and all, you know, all the kids, they all care about basketball. This is like their whole family business. Paul, I mean, Paul Allen wasn't married. He didn't have kids. And so his sister inherited his whole estate because she was the next of kin. And she just kind of, she was never involved in any of this stuff at all. So it's not like this is the family business and he's passing it down to his kid or whatever when he passes away. She was just kind of the person that sort of got it by default. And she has not really had a lot of interest in, you know, she, they, you know, Paul Allen owned the Seahawks too. And so they're, you know, they're kind of in a similar spot. And the guy who's really calling the shots is Burt Cold, who is the vice chairman of Vulcan Sports, which is the company that, Paul Allen ran that ran the Blazers and the Seahawks and he's based in Seattle. He's a lot more of a football guy than a basketball guy. He's a lot more hands-on with the Seahawks than he is with the Blazers. And so you just kind of have this environment where 
nobody like because the business ops stuff and the basketball ops stuff was so separate and the ownership at this point isn't really hands-on with anything you have you know a situation where neil olshay basically doesn't answer to anybody and that's how you get to where you know they fire terry stotts and he goes on a press conference and says that the 29th defensive rating and the first round exit were not a product of the roster and basically keeps the roster the exact same. And then he hires the coach that he wants to hire and basically does a fake coaching search where they leak that Becky Hammond is a finalist because that's good PR. And like Mike D'Antoni was supposedly in the mix, but he wasn't really in the mix. And Neil was always going to hire Chauncey Billups. And then they completely blew past this allegation about Chauncey Billups that had been out there and didn't really take that as seriously as some people would have liked for them to take. And just there's been nobody there to say hey neil you can't do this and then now we're kind of hearing about and to be honest this stuff as somebody who's dealt with neil and as somebody who's you know been around the team for a long time the stuff that we're hearing we don't know what the specific complaint was about you know what what led to this investigation what who filed the complaint what the thing that he was accused of doing is we don't know any of that stuff that stuff's all been pretty under wraps but just generally the idea that neil is kind of fostering a culture in the in the office with the blazers where he's just not a very pleasant person to work for or work with and he'll just like seek out low-level staffers and like berate them you know totally out of you know out of proportion for whatever and basically just make people afraid to come to work that's something that anybody who's you know around this team, it's not that hard for anybody to believe. My thing with this whole investigation and the timing of it, because I mean, of the stuff that I said about, you know, how hands-off ownership is, I'm not sure I necessarily believe that they suddenly are starting to really care about, you know, the workplace environment or the Blazers. I think a lot of this, and this is something that was kind of alluded to in the report from Woj today that the general managers are trying to form a union to protect themselves against this kind of stuff. But it seems to me, and I've, I've, I've been at every Blazers home game so far this season, and the Blazers usually have one of the best home crowds in the league. The building is packed, all of that. Great fans, you know, great atmosphere, all that. None of these games, even when it's a team like the Lakers that were in town earlier this month, none of those games have been even close to sold out. And so I, my working theory this entire time has been that ticket sales are starting to slip and now suddenly ownership is looking around like hey wait a minute you know what's going on here how are we going to be able to save some money and so then one easy way to do that and also to you know get some you know good pr and goodwill is you launch this investigation you try to find some stuff on neil olshay in order to be able to fire him for cause because they just fired him because they thought he wasn't a very good gm or whatever they would still have to pay him out on his contract. And I don't know exactly how much money he makes, but he's one of the most highly paid front office executives in the league from everything that I understand. So if they can find a way to fire him for cause or fire him for like violating some conduct rule or something, then they can void his contract and get out of paying him. And that's a way of saving some money and also firing a guy who is pretty unpopular, both in the organization and in the fan base, which would create some goodwill. So it's just, I think he's going to end up being gone eventually it's just a matter of whether they can come up with enough cause to fire him and get out of paying him or if he's going to be able to fight to keep his money or they're going to do some sort of buyout agreement or something to that. I, I don't know. There's a whole lot that kind of still has to be resolved, but I do believe that eventually he's not going to be the general manager of the Portland Trailblazers anymore when this is all over. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of, a lot of dominoes that, that are falling. Yeah, into the that absolutely. You to, that you definitely have to manage. 
Um, but you briefly talked about how the public eye had uh-huh. their had their look of disarray in a sense for Chauncey Bowes taking that taking that head coach position. Yeah, I don't want to allude to this narrative of privilege and coach from a coach's perspective because you want to talk if you want to talk about rape allegations and and or allegations of misconduct sure that, that have been plagued on not just players but coaches as well when it comes to hiring positions you someone that comes to my mind when you bring up that discussion is like a jason kidd who had his dui situation and it, from what i heard actually stopped him from getting the head coaching job with the lakers um, which had which made them bring Frank Vogel in and have him become an assistant, but now he's in Dallas, and that wasn't much of a flag. Well, Jason Kidd also had some domestic abuse stuff that he yeah, actually that was too. convicted of. Like there's there's yeah. the the, 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 the I think the difference, and I understand like why you would why we'd kind of bring that up because Jason Kidd, I don't think he was ever a real candidate for the Blazers job, but he was the guy that Dame came out and said he wanted. But right. the difference between the two situations is that Jason Kidd's stuff like, you know, all that stuff, the domestic abuse stuff, the DUI thing that happened when he first took the Brooklyn job in uh, 2013, that stuff is all out there. Everybody knows about that stuff. I'm, you know, somebody like me, whose job it is to, you know, be immersed in this stuff 24 hours a day, all this stuff. I had no idea about this old allegation from Chauncey, about Chauncey Billups until like in May or so, when his name first started coming up as being a candidate and for some of these head coaching jobs, it happened or the, alleged incident happened and the complaint was filed in 1997 he settled out of court in 2000 that was very early in his playing career and you know to be honest with you i'm i i I said this at the time when when this you know when this was going on i'm not super interested in litigating this thing from 25 years ago and deciding whether i think that chauncey billups did or didn't do this thing that he was accused of i don't think that's really worthwhile or productive and i don't really think it's our place to say hey anybody who's ever been accused of anything should never be able to have a head coaching job i don't i don't know if it's necessarily our place to say that right my issue with the way the process was handled was that neil olshay had his guy that he wanted the entire time and that was basically going back to before neil took the blazers job he was the gm of the clippers and chauncey billups was playing for the clippers at the time kind of near the end of his career when they first traded for Chris Paul from new Orleans. They brought Chauncey in to be his backup. And so he and Neil have a relationship going back 10 years. And so Neil basically knew who he was going to hire the whole time. What I didn't think was great about the way the process was handled was they basically ran a fake coaching search and basically said, uh, I mean, back at, you know, back in, you, you know, you're based in Chicago. You, you know, you do a lot of bull stuff. I assume I'm not sure if you were around or you remember this, but about five or six years ago, when the Bulls fired Tom Thibodeau, yep. this is when I was still covering the Bulls. This is when I was still on the beat. Yep. I remember sitting there at the press conference with Gar Foreman and John Paxson when they announced that they had fired Tom. And they said, we're going to undertake a wide range of coaching search and leave no stone unturned. And we're going to interview a wide variety of candidates. And then, you know, 48 hours later, like the years and money on Fred Hoiberg's contract yep. were being reported. And it was all just, you know, because, you know, Fred Hoiberg played at Iowa State when Gar Foreman was an assistant coach there. It was kind of a similar thing with, with, with Neil and Chauncey, where they had this relationship going back to the Clippers. That was always the guy that he was going to hire. And honestly, if this allegation from his past didn't exist 
I don't think anybody would have had an issue with the hire. There's plenty of, I mean, you look at how well-respected Chauncey was as a player in terms of as a leader, as a point guard, as a finals MVP, right. his playing career speaks for itself, obviously. There's plenty of reason. And I, you know, and now having dealt with him for the first couple of months of the season, personally, I, I, I find him to be very engaging, very thoughtful, very easy to talk to. I very much enjoyed interacting with him and getting to know him. And, you know, I think there's a lot of reason to believe he's going to end up being a pretty good head coach. It's more so that this allegation existed. They didn't actually investigate it. If they had actually run an investigation and said, okay, we really investigated this and this is what we did. And remember like that, that press conference when they introduced him right after the hire was announced, some people, and I was one of the people at the press conference who asked Neil just point blank, what did you do for this investigation? What firm did you hire? Who did you talk to? What did they tell you specifically that made you comfortable with going forward with the hire? And Neil had that famous line, well, that's proprietary, Sean. You're just going to have to take our word for it. Like right. that was like a clip that went viral. And then it comes out a couple weeks later, OPB, which is a public radio station here in Portland, and then also Defector, had reports and reached out to different people that the Blazers, you know, they basically just contacted the district attorney in Massachusetts where the case was filed. And the district attorney said, well, I don't think he did it. And they never reached out to the accuser. They never reached out to the accuser's attorney. And then the private investigator that they hired, uh, it then somebody found this investigator's Twitter account. And there was like some porn stuff on it. There were some retweets of like some Proud Boy stuff on it. And it was just the whole thing, just the issue that people had, had with the hire I don't think a lot of it was even really about Chauncey because like I said, nobody really knows what did or didn't happen uh, this night where he was accused of doing this thing 25 years ago. And we're never going to know that. The issue that I think a lot of people more so had with it were that Neil O'Shea basically just, and this is, you know, emblematic of kind of what's going on now with the investigation where he basically just gets to do whatever he wants and treat people however he wants and not have any kind of accountability for anything. He had the guy he wanted to hire. There was this serious allegation that should be more of a red flag. Neil just kind of brushed past it and then lied about it and wasn't transparent about how they investigated it. So I think that's, it, it's all, not that this was like necessarily, uh, you know, uh, you know, not, not that like the, the, the current investigation with Neil was is at, at all related to the Chauncey stuff. Right. It's more so just, this is just kind of how he is. And this is kind of how he's been since Paul Allen passed away, where he basically just gets to do whatever he wants. And everybody's just kind of afraid to question him on anything. And my, like I said, my belief is that now that team is starting to lose money on ticket sales. And a lot of people are unhappy with the TV deal that they just signed and all this other stuff. Like now they're kind of looking for ways to save money. And it just so happens that Neil O'Shea is very unpopular and makes a lot of money. And if they can find a way to fire him for cause and save some of that money, that's kind of why I feel like they are where they are right now. Oof, that's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. There's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. But I'm glad that one of the people that's closest to the situation come on the show and explain this for us. That's why I got you here. Everybody listening right now, you are listening to Sean Hyken of Bleach and writer insider for Bleach Report. Um, Sean, you, you talked about how obviously ticket sales and how it's, it's the, you know, everything's going south for the Portland uh, Trailblazers right now. Yeah. You know, you, you know very well in Chicago, we had the same thing with Gar Foreman and John Packs and the Gar. Oh, I, I was there for like a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So we, so when you, when you talk about the correlation between the Trailblazers and the Bulls, 
You know, they recently just played last night. We recorded mm -hmm. on a Thursday. They played Wednesday night. And that yes. was a heck of a game, um, yeah. to say the least. Because the beginning of it, to me, it seemed like Portland just wasn't there. They were they were very, you know, lackadaisical. They weren't interested. And then the Bulls just relaxed in the second half. And Portland goes on this surge. And, you know, next thing you know, they come out and win this game. And I, I looked at the game as like, okay, the Bulls just got in over their heads. They just thought this was going to be an easy win. They tried to coast, and then they just – it just became a debacle of a show, especially in the closing uh, minutes of the fourth quarter. But then I'm also sitting there like, with Portland being the up and down team that they've been this so far this season, you know, could this be a statement win for them to help get them back on track with everything going on? Like that's that's where my mindset really has been with this game, honestly. As someone that you know, like you said, looks at covers Bulls things of that sort, you know, that Bulls game was just a wreck. <laughs> for us but from a Portland's perspective talk about what that game really meant for them and what was your analysis of it well it's this whole hopes this they started because they beat Toronto on uh Monday and then they have this you know they're down 20 they look completely disengaged like you said they look like they didn't want to beat the, be there and then they have this huge comeback and in the midst of all of this stuff going on organizationally and off the court and even sort of on the court because Damian Lillard has been kind of up and down shooting. He's been better lately, but he's had some rough shooting nights so far. There's clearly this ab thing that he's been dealing with still that he's been dealing with at least since the summer that he was dealing with in the Olympics. So there's still a lot that they have to figure out on the court, but there are some signs that things, you know, there are some encouraging signs, I think for some of where this Blazers team is headed. Uh, a couple of their young guys, Anthony Simons and Nasir Little, have started to play really well off the bench and they've kind of, it's, it, 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 it's interesting because they've stumbled into this kind of thing with these closing lineups, the last couple of games with Larry Nance jr. Kind of playing a small ball five and kind of closing with that as opposed to with Yusuf Nurkic. And that's kind of a whole interesting thing because Nurkic has still been very off and on in terms of how productive he is on any given night. And he's in the last year of his contract. And so that's going to be a whole thing. They're going to have to figure out CJ McCollum has been playing pretty well and, you know, who knows whether that means, I mean, depending on who the general manager is, whether that, you know, Neil O'Shea has never really shown any interest in trading CJ, but whoever they bring in once this investigation gets uh, wrapped up, then maybe that person wants to trade CJ and maybe CJ has like upped his trade value with how he's been playing. There's still just a whole lot kind of up in the air. I think ultimately the Blazers with this current roster, I mean, who knows again what they're going to do once this GM stuff is figured out. I feel like they are about where they were last year. I think they're a playoff team, but they're like a low seed, like a six, seven, eight type of seed, probably losing the first round again. This is again, assuming they keep the roster the exact same. They don't trade CJ. They don't trade Nurkic. I think they just kind of are what they are in terms of, in terms of how, where they stack up in the, in the West. I don't think they're on the level of, obviously the Warriors are kind of head and shoulders above everybody right now. I don't think they're on the level of like Utah or Phoenix or, Denver, if they get Jamal Murray back healthy at some point this season, I think Portland is a cut below those teams. And so I think they're still kind of in that same range that they were last season. And, you know, again, who, who knows, like, again, how is the GM stuff going to play out the person that they bring in to reply? And I mean, I have a few ideas of who, you know, I've heard they might bring in, but like they, who they might bring in what that person does. Do they, maybe they do the CJ for Ben Simmons trade at that point, who knows, maybe that shakes some things up. And then maybe Dame gets over this early season slump. 
that he has. And maybe they go on a run. I don't know. But like, I think they are about where they were last year. Now the Bulls on the other hand, uh, obviously they lost that game last night. They blew a huge lead. That's never really what you want to see, but they've been one of my favorite teams to watch this season. I've loved the way that Lonzo has fit in next to Levine. DeRozan has just been awesome. And, you know, even though they lost that game last night, I was really impressed at how they handled, uh, both of the LA teams with no Vucevic. Cause you know, with, with Vucevic out, you don't really have anybody size-wise to match up against Anthony Davis. And they were still able to kind of take him out of the game. He literally got ejected in that game, but then, you know, I think the Caruso signing has been huge for them. He's what he does defensively and, you know, with re, with rebounding and just the way he kind of pesters people. I just, I like this team. I think they're legit. I think they're, you know, I don't think they're on the level of like the, assuming they figure it out eventually like the bucks or the nets, but, I think they are one of the more impressive teams in the East. I think they could easily get to the second or third round, depending on the kind of matchup that they get. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I was one of the few people. I'm, I'm not trying to throw shade at anybody, but you know, <laughs> somebody from your from Bleacher Report said that you know that was the worst. The DeMar DeRozan come to the Bulls was the worst signing of the offseason. Yeah, that was certainly not me. That's I mean, <laughs> here's here's my thing with it. Like, I, I don't understand. I mean, I, I still follow a lot of Bulls stuff. And even like locally, I feel like a lot of people were mixed about the offseason that they had. My whole thing was I covered the Garpax era where they basically would never go for anything big because right. they just would, we, we don't want to mess up our salary cap flexibility. And then they had the one year where like they signed Rondo and Wade and they basically just signed Wade because he was a big name and they could, I thought they could sell some jerseys and then that didn't work out. And they threw their hands up and like, well, I guess you just can't build around Jimmy Butler and then traded him. And now you you look at what he's done in, you know, Philly and Miami and you know, all that stuff. So now you get the, you know, you get a real front office, you get a real coach in there after like all the Jim Boylan stuff. And now they're actually trying to spend money on good players, which the and, and people were mad about it like i i just you know first like they go all in to do the vucevic trade and you know there were people arguing about like oh do they give up too many picks for vucevic is he really that good Wh- whatever to me the the point of that trade was sending the message to the rest of the league that we're the bulls we're a big market team we're not met we're actually going to take swings and try to get big guys and then they go out and they spend money on lonzo ball and they go spend money on demar DeRozan. I, i'll tell you i was the last trip that i took before the pandemic was to Chicago in February of 2020 for the all-star game. Mm-hmm. And it was a great event. Like the league did a really good job putting it on. The city did a really good job putting it on. It was really cool. Like I had a lot of fun there. I saw a lot of NBA people, but there was absolutely no buzz at all locally about the bulls. Nobody right. was even talking about, Oh, people are excited about the bulls or like there was no bulls representation at the all. Like Zach Levine was in the three point contest and that was about it. Like, Nobody was taught, like, it was a great, like, oh, this is great. Chicago is putting on for the NBA, but no, and like, as a city, like, that was what people were talking about. Nobody was talking about the Bulls. And, you know, when you're the Bulls and you have the Michael Jordan history, you should be thinking about yourself like you're the Knicks or you're the Lakers or you're some of these, or the Warriors or some of these other teams that are big market teams with history and act like it. And the Bulls under Garpax were never doing that. And then I think that was a big part of, you know, once COVID shut the season down, that was, I think, a big part of just the embarrassment of, having uh all of this uh you know you know having the whole league in chicago and nobody really talking about the bulls i think the embarrassment of that was part of what eventually led the reinsdorfs to say okay we need to actually like get you know get serious and shake things up and hire our tourist karnashovas and mark eversley and get rid of jim boylan and bring in billy donovan and 
then he, they basically have empowered them to say, okay, we're going to act like a big market team. Now we're going to act like, you know, the Lakers or the Warriors and actually go out and try to get big name guys. We're going to spend money on Lonzo ball. We're going to spend money on DeMar DeRozan. And I, it's so far it's worked out great. The on-court fit has been great. I mean, the thing about DeRozan and I understand where some of the fit concerns were coming from because he isn't a three point shooter. And that's, there's kind of a tendency now for people to just assume that if somebody isn't a good three point shooter as a guard or a wing, that they're just not a good basketball player that they don't fit in this, in this, uh, you know, the modern NBA, whatever the case may be. The thing that really always made sense to me about the DeRozan thing is if you look at the bulls last season, kind of near the end of the year, they were still kind of in the mix for one of those last few playoff spots or playing right. spots. And then Zach Levine gets COVID and goes out for a couple of weeks. And it's just a wrap for them because they have nobody else that can create their own shot or, you know, get a bucket or create offense or anything. Yep. So now, you know, if Zach is having an off night or Zach isn't shooting well, or Zach gets hurt or whatever, you know, something like that happens, they have another guy that you can kind of put the ball in his hands and say, go get us a bucket. And they just didn't have that last year. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I and I think what got it for me when they made that deal was their games can translate very well. Zach has grown mm-hmm. to be a three-level scorer. He can score pretty much from anywhere at any time with the green light that he has for that team. Yeah. But DeMar DeRozan's game as a mid-range assassin in Billy, in Billy Donovan's offense, I think that's what really sets it apart. Where Zach Levine, you know he can get what he wants, but you know that he'll make threes too. Regardless, right. he started at a crazy efficient rate last year. Right. And the other part of it, the other part of it too, is that a lot of people don't know this because not a lot of people were really watching the post Kawhi Spurs. Like that was just mm-hmm. not something that a lot, not, not a team that I think a lot of people were really watching unless they're Spurs fans. Cause like they weren't really in the playoff mix. They weren't like on national TV, whatever. DeMar DeRozan had, since he left Toronto and went to San Antonio, DeMar DeRozan has gotten so much better as a passer and as a playmaker. Yeah. And because remember when he was in Toronto, he kind of had that reputation as, oh, he's just a gunner. He's just a volume shooter. He's just a kind of a black hole. He's not really like a team player or a winning player. He kind of had that reputation. He completely flipped that around in San Antonio. And so you have him and Lonzo, who are both completely unselfish passers now, who can also score and you know get their own offense alongside Levine who's become such a great shooter and the and I think Levine has also gotten a lot better defensively or at least the effort I yes. think has been there more and then you combine that with you know Caruso is one of the you know Caruso and Lonzo together just kind of smother people defensively on the wing and you know then you have a, a big like Vuce you know he's obviously injured right now but a guy like Vucevic who when he's healthy he's a big man who can pass and shoot threes too like it's just a lot of stuff that just kind of makes sense. And then you even have like a guy like Io DeSumo, mm-hmm. who was a second round pick. I don't think anybody really expected him to contribute, but he's playing real minutes as a rookie. And, you know, even some of these guys like Alizé Johnson and, uh, and uh, who's the uh, Javante Green, like they have these guys, like these other guys who are kind of getting minutes. Kobe White just came back into the lineup and has just been playing the last couple of, of games. And, I don't know. I think the Bulls kind of have something interesting going here. And are they a title contender this year? No, but after where the Bulls have been the last four or five years since the Jimmy Butler trade, since they went into this rebuild, you kind of have to get respectable before you can really get into it. It's kind of where the Knicks are right now. Like the Knicks have been a joke for so long. They hire Tibbs. They bring in some of these guys that they bring in. Now the Knicks are a playoff team and they're not a joke anymore. And they're just actually a respectable franchise. And so then the next time one of these big name guys as a free agent 
the Knicks are maybe a team that he would look at because they look at it and say, oh, this is a legit team with a, you know, with a good coach and they have a good roster. And it's not just the market that they can sell. I think the Bulls are kind of in that same spot where you can't go from being a terrible team and being out of the playoffs for four or five years in a row to being a title contender overnight, unless you're the Lakers and LeBron just decides he wants to go there one day. And then also gets Anthony Davis that forces a trade there. You know, if you're the Bulls, you have to send the message to the league that you're willing to spend money on big names and you have to be, you know, we're like, we're trying to be good. We're trying to compete. We're trying to be respectable. And then now the, now the league is looking at the bulls a lot differently than they were looking at them a couple of years ago when the old front office was there as just kind of, yes, they're in Chicago. Yes. It's Michael Jordan's old team, but we're not really taking them seriously because they don't really take themselves that seriously as a big market team. The way that they've approached it with the new front office has just been completely different. Yeah, that that's, that's, Music to my ears, man. <laughs> We've been saying that for the longest. And I'm glad that someone who actually covered that guard passer understands and can relate to the audience, like how bad it really was. I mean, anytime you got fans going on national television during All-Star Weekend uh-huh. and talk about, and yo, fire guard packs on TV. Yeah, that's, the crew. Like, that's how you know for the league. Way. It's not great. No, not great at all. And but unfortunately, and at least in your situation, and maybe for the league in general, Portland is slowly but surely transitioning to that phase. And Portland, when you when you talked about how depending on who, you know, what happens with Neil Olshay and uh-huh. who they bring in to replace him, which I do want your opinion on who they of who you've heard who they might replace him with if it gets to that. Um, but let's just say this person is willing to get rid of CJ or willing, or maybe want to have that conversation with Damian Lillard. I feel like this may turn into what Toronto did with DeRozan, where yeah. they just knew over, they, they, even though, you know, there was rumblings about, you know, they may keep the two, or they may give it at least one more year, you know, that the GM might pull the trigger that one time just to break up that dynamic backcourt that they had because they knew they had to make some type of move to get to where they're trying to go to. And for, and for Toronto, paid off. You got Kawhi and you end up winning a championship. So right. um, with Portland, I'm not saying they'll win a championship because the West is so loaded now. Right. And, and the East has got it that much better. Um, do you really think that maybe the best thing for Portland is to get rid of one of those two players, whether it's Damian or CJ, especially since you're really going to be in a tight pickle because even though Damian wants to say he has expressed frustration, so maybe, if, maybe it may be best for him to go. And then you do have CJ where I'm pretty sure he hasn't doesn't want to go anywhere. When I talked to him on All-Star Weekend, he he was highly respectful and, and in love with the Trailblazers and sure. David and what's going on over there. But contract-wise and what he brings to the table and maybe even fit sometimes for the teams, you like you mentioned, a trade with, you know, swapping him with Ben Simmons may be ideal. Um, you know, how how do you think or what do you think could potentially happen with that dynamic backcourt in general? especially if they ride it out this year and they still, and like you said, stay in the same place as they were last year from a successful rate perspective. Well, I don't think that the idea of trading Dane is at all realistic, unless he outright goes to them and says, I want to leave now, like trade me. Like that's the only way I would even see that being something like that's it's not, I don't see it being the kind of situation where, that would be something they would do if he didn't actively 
ask for it. I mean, this is, again, this is all assuming that Neil Olshay is not the one making these calls because if Neil is still, is still here and he's the one still deciding this stuff, then neither of them are going to get traded because I mean, so here, here's the other thing that I think a lot of people who are out of market, you know, have, aren't really, you know, in tune with. So Neil Olshay took the job as GM of the Blazers in early June of 2012. So technically he made the final call to draft Dame, but the organization and the front office that was already there had already done a lot of the work on Dame in terms of scouting him and vetting him and doing the intel and stuff. And Paul Allen was already basically decided like, this is our, like, like he had dinner with Paul Allen, like during pre-draft workouts, Dame did, and just completely blew him away. I mean, as you know, obviously Dame is like one of the most, you know, well-liked guys in the league. You could imagine like he has dinner with the owner and the owner comes away saying, this is guy, this is our guy. This is our next franchise player. The organization had already basically decided Dame is our guy before Neil got there. And so Neil gets credit for drafting Dame, but Neil, Dame wasn't like, it wasn't like Neil was the guy that was leading the charge to draft Dame. CJ, on the other hand, you know, came a year later. CJ was Neil's discovery. Neil can take credit for CJ. And because of that, I think more than anything else, Neil has been very hesitant to even entertain the idea of trading CJ because CJ is his kind of crown jewel as a, as a GM and as a draft scout, the guy that he can really take credit for and say, this is my guy. This is the guy I discovered. Now, I think if you take it like from the outside, and especially now that, you know, what was the big move that the Blazers made this pa- in the past year? They traded from Norm Powell at the deadline, who's another six foot three guard. And then they gave him $90 million to re-sign. And so now you're paying Dame, CJ, and Norm, uh, you know, you're, you're paying all of those guys upwards of $20 million a year. You're, you know, you're paying Norm like upwards of 20. You're paying... Uh, CJ upwards of 30, you're paying Dame upwards of 40, you're probably going to have to pay Anthony Simons, who's another guy that Neil drafted and is very high on and has been pretty good this year. You're going to probably have to pay him like 15 or 17 a year this summer. And he's another you know small guard. Like something has to give at some point. And the obvious thing to do, because look, you can't trade Dame just because of what he's meant to the city, what he's meant for the franchise. Like that's the kind of guy that like, if you can at all help it, you want, even if they never win a championship, you want him to be your Reggie Miller in Indiana. You want him to be your John Stockton in Utah, where he's the guy that plays his entire career for one team and you retire his jersey and, you know, what he is in the community and all this. Like, that's like that's just not something you do. The obvious thing to do is to trade CJ, whether it be for Ben Simmons or whether it be for maybe not a one-for-one, one, but like a couple of pieces you know, maybe two guys who make like slightly less money that, you know, where you can swap the contract to make the money work, bring in some depth. I don't know. Like there's moves to make if you're a GM that isn't as attached to CJ as Neil Olshay is, which is why I think when whoever ends up replacing him, if the investigation goes the way that I think it will happens, I think you're going to maybe see a different approach as far as that, because I also know that kind of Chauncey Billups for as much as like Chauncey's going to pay lip service to, you know, how great it is to have this great backcourt and, and all this. I, you know, you, you read between the lines of some of the stuff that Chauncey said, like before the Toronto game, somebody asked him about playing Dame, CJ and Norm together. And he basically said, yeah, we give up size every night. I think Chauncey knows that Mm. all of those guys together is not really sustainable, but he's just the coach. He's not the GM. There's not really anything he can do about it. So I think there are people in the organization who think that that's the way to go is, you know, breaking them up and you, you move CJ for something, but it's just, there's no way to really know how that's going to play out until you see how this investigation plays out and what ends up happening with the, uh, 
you know, the general with the front office and who ends up taking Neil's spot if Neil does end up getting pushed out. Yeah, that that's very interesting how that how that dynamic could potentially work out. And you briefly uh-huh. mentioned that you know you've heard rumblings about who could potentially be replacements to Neil O'Shea if he really is uh, fired or replaced or you know relieved of his duties in uh-huh. Portland. Who are those? T- if you know, just if you can tell us who those candidates can be, and ideally, out of those candidates, if you were in those shoes, maybe who would you really choose? Well, I don't think there's anybody in house who is like permanent. Like, I mean, because you know, in in other situations, there's been, you know, when there's been turnover in the front office, there's been like a clear number two guy. Like when Daryl Morey left Houston, Raphael Stone immediately, like he was the number two, and he had been kind of getting groomed to be the you know eventually be a gm and so it was just obvious for him to slide in and then when dennis Lindsay kind of stepped away in utah justin zanuck was immediately there to kind of take the take the reins and he was already there there's not really anybody in portland who is like neil's number two that's like clearly the next guy like it's basically just been neil's show the whole time i believe that if this if we were to go down this way i think that joe cronin who's been there for a long time he's been there longer than neil but he's just kind of their salary cap guy and just like if you need a guy to just sort of be your interim for a few months and just kind of be able to make trades and talk to other teams and, you know, just deal with stuff, he can get the job done. I don't think he's a candidate to really be the guy long-term. A couple of names that I've heard as potential candidates, and this is just, none of this is close or none of this is like, I'm not like, this is just like people that I've heard floated as possibilities i'm just i'm couching this like i'm doing the i'm doing the brian windhorse don't aggregate this uh (laughs) but like but uh chad buchanan who has a history with the blazers organization he was kevin pritchard's number two back in the day and then he was their de facto gm that year after they fired rich cho where they didn't uh have a gm he was one of the guys who really scouted dame and did you know you know, did, did a lot of the work on Dane before Neil got there. And then he ended up leaving and he's Kevin Pritchard's number two again in Indiana. And there just seems like there might be some shakeup with Indy at some point. I've heard Chad Buchanan's name as a guy that may be in the mix to come back. And he's obviously a guy that the Vulcans at the organization are all familiar with. So that's one possibility. Another possibility. And I think this one's a little bit more interesting is Tayshawn Prince, who is currently the i believe his title is something like vp of basketball affairs in memphis so he he's not the gm of the grizzlies but he has a title in the front office he's you know he he was a gm of a g league team for a while he's worked his way up kind of since he retired from playing he's kind of gone you know some ex-players go the coaching route he's kind of gone more the front office route so he worked his way up like he was a scout for a while now he's kind of worked his way up in there. He's very well liked. I, I've heard nothing but good things about him from people who have worked with him in Memphis. And obviously he and Chauncey were teammates on that 2004 right. Pistons team that won the title. And so that would be a guy that you bring in. You don't have to worry about him wanting to bring in his own coach because obviously he and Chauncey are tight because they played together in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So that's going to kind of solidify Chauncey's position. And then you just kind of have a different approach. I mean, you look at, I mean, I, I know that a lot of front offices have kind of gone the way of when, when it comes to hiring these GMs, a lot of them will hire like kind of these, you know, Harvard guys or like these, you know, these stats guys, or, you know, in the case of a guy like Neil Olshay, who started out as like a player development guy and then was an agent for a while. And then a couple of other teams have former agents like Leon Rose with, with the Knicks or right. Rob Palinka with the Lakers or Bob Myers with the Warriors. But some teams like you look at the Suns, 
James Jones, former player, worked his yeah. way up in the front office, eventually became the GM, and he built a team that went to the finals. I think if you were to bring in a guy like Tayshawn Prince, you kind of would look at that blueprint and say, hey, we're not just going to go with another you know, guy from the Neil Olshay archetype. We're going to go with a former player who maybe has a different perspective about how to build teams and also somebody who has a relationship with the coach who's already there because they played together and won a championship together. And so they're probably on the same page about a lot of this stuff. So that would, those would be the two guys that I would say Chad Buchanan and Tayshawn Prince are the two that I would say are, if I were telling you that like my guess as to who it's going to be, it's going to be one of those two. I don't know who or when or how or what or whatever, but those would be the two names I would tell you to keep an eye on. Tayshawn Prince is interesting. I like that. I like that idea, that potential connection for Portland. And not to mention, he, like you said, he does give a different perspective. And I think actually he would relate a lot with the, with Damian Lillard. And yeah. how they can move that thing, how, how they can change direction, move things. Move well, because what was the whole deal? I mean, that Detroit team gets talked about as like, they were the team that didn't have like five superstars, but they won a championship and like, right. and you know, I, I think it's, because the, th- the thing with all the Dame stuff, and I understand why the Dame talk hasn't co- fully gone away, even though he's shut it down, because I just, I understand that there is just this news cycle of like, who's the next guy that's going to ask for a trade? Who's the next guy that's going to add? Like, I think people were hoping that it was going to be Giannis, but then he signed the extension. So that's off the table. And now people kind of made Dame the next logical guy. Mm-hmm. I think that Dame, and this is just, you know, I, I, I'm not like friends with Dame, like some other reporters are, but like, I, you know, I know Dame well enough, you know, I kind of know sort of how he operates. I think that Dame really does want deep down to play his entire career in Portland, but he wants to do that. If he has a chance to win, it's not even like, I don't even think it's a situation where, I have to win a championship or else like my career is a failure. I think if it was a situation like, and I mentioned a few other guys who never won a title and played their whole careers with one team. If he, his career ends up being like Reggie Miller in Indiana or John Stockton in Utah, where you never end up winning the title, but you know, they went to the finals a bunch of times. They were in the conference mm-hmm. finals. They were just like, they were always in the mix and they had a shot every year. I think Dane could live with that. What he doesn't want to be is Kevin Garnett in Minnesota, where he had this incredible like Hall of Fame career. He was an MVP candidate every year, and they never even got close. Like they, like you know, the Blazers and, and Garnett's Timberwolves have made the conference finals the same amount of times, and they were never really a serious contender even that year. The Warriors, I mean, the Blazers made the conference finals in 2019. They got swept by the Warriors without Kevin Durant. Like, and that was the closest that they've gotten. So, like, I think Dame, he doesn't, he he, he isn't like. I don't think this is, you know oh, Dame wants to leave. He wants to go to a bigger market. He wants to go to New York or LA because there are more endorsement opportunities or or any of this other stuff. And the other part of it is like, even if he wanted to leave and he has said pretty definitively since training camp started, I'm not leaving Portland. I want to stay in Portland. He said that. The other, I mean, the other thing about it is let's say he does eventually decide like, okay, I want to leave. Where is there really for him to go? There's not a James Harden going to Brooklyn type of situation where you've got two other superstars and everybody just knows that you know you, you could just plug them in there and they're going to dominate there's no situation like that philly is a team that gets talked about a lot but okay what if you know you get let's say he goes to philly like who knows if joel Embiid is going to be able to stay healthy for a whole season that's always going to be a big concern for them he mm-hmm. goes to new york which again because the knicks are good again like 
now they're now the team that everybody talks about is, oh, maybe they're going to be in the mix for every one of these stars that maybe wants to leave, whatever. It could that would be a situation, I think, though, where it would be like a Carmelo situation again, where the Knicks gave up so much to get Carmelo that they didn't have enough around him to contend. And I think, you know, the Knicks would have to do the same thing to get Dame just hypothetically. So I don't think there's a situation out there, even if Dame decided he wanted to leave, which again, he does not. And he's made very clear that he does not. There's no situation for him to go to. That's just an obvious upgrade from what he has now. And I think with that being the case, he's kind of looking around at it and saying, you know what? I got it pretty good here right now. Like the fans love me. My Jersey's going to get retired here. I'm going to break all the franchise records for points and, and you know, whatever. I might just ride it out here. Like he also like his family, like he just got married over the summer. He's got, right. you know, he and his wife have, they have a son who's about three or four. Then they have twins that were just born earlier this year. So he's got a young family. A lot of his extended family lives out here. His mom, a couple of his cousins, his brother, they all moved out to Portland. They're all kind of entrenched here. Uh, I think that he's just kind of looking at this. And, and again, because of like his perception, Dame, I think the difference between a guy like Dame and a guy like Ben Simmons or a guy like James Harden is I don't think Dame has the stomach to be the bad guy and to have people hate him the way that, like you saw, like the way that James Harden is kind of like the way he kind of handled what, you know, when he wanted to get traded from Houston, how did he, uh, you know, how he handled all that stuff, like showing up out of shape to training camp or like showing up late and like throwing teammates under the bus. That's not Dame. That's never been Dame. That is just not who Dame is everything. And I say this as, you know, I've, I covered, I've covered Dame for now. I've been back in Portland for four. This is my fifth season back in Portland. Everything like I've, I've been around players and I'm not going to name any names, uh, but I've been around some, you know, star players who people's perception of who they are and their personalities and who they are is, you know, kind of a put on and it's not real and it's not genuine or, you know, there, there's certain guys I've dealt with in Chicago's, you know, even some guys I've dealt with at different times in Portland. Dame is not like that at all. Dame is one of the most real and genuine guys. Like everything you read about like what a great guy Dame is and just how much he cares about other people and how great of a leader he is and how much his teammates respect him and how he just keeps it real with everybody. And he's somebody that people gravitate to on and off the court. That's all a hundred percent true. That's just who Dame is. And so I don't think he really has it in him to suddenly turn around and be like, get me out of Portland. I'm going to sit out games. I'm going to blow off training camp. I'm going to, you know, throw everybody under the bus. Like that's just, that's just not who he is. That's not how he's wired. And so that's because of that. I don't think he's ever going to end up asking out of Portland. Even if you maybe were in a position where he might look around and say, yeah, I don't like where this team is on the court. I just don't think he really has that in him to do that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously, it would be nice to play uh, fantasy basketball or NBA Live or 2K where you can create your own team and have all right, these exactly. like, put together. Like, it seems like the league has been doing for the longest now. But, uh-huh. you know, I do like the Dame fit in Portland, and I just and I just hope them wish they're able to get more talent to surround them so that way they can really take it to that next level and at least give Dame a chance. But I do really do like uh, Dame in Portland. And me personally – Portland would never be the same since they had their big playoff runs with um, even going back. I, I was originally thinking, you know, with Scotty Pippen, Sheed Wallace, Bonzi, yeah, yeah, yeah. things. but you can even go back even to Brandon Roy. Um, oh yeah. In Portland, when you talk about the success. And like LaMarcus Portland. Aldridge and it was like if yes. Brandon Roy and Greg Oden had been able to stay healthy. Like how good would those teams have been? Yeah, absolutely. Like Dame is like Dame is the guy in terms of like, he's he is like in terms of like what how attached people were to brandon roy and it, it, like 
Dame is like that if Brandon Roy was able to stay healthy for his whole career. That's kind of yeah. what Dame is in terms of like just how solid he is as a person and how and as a leader and just how good he is as a player and just all and just all of that. Like Dame Dame is like the ideal in terms of like on and off the court stuff. He's like the ideal franchise player in terms of ev- everything. Like you'll never find anybody who's ever dealt with Dame or been around Dame or talked to Dame or gotten to know Dame who will ever have a negative thing to say about the guy. Everybody listening right now, you're listening to Sean Hyken. Sean, I know time's running a little short on us. It's just, um, so um, before we transition to the end of our show, um, I just wanted your opinion on just briefly what you spoke around the NBA. Who were the uh-huh. teams that, you know, really stood out to you that can really make good positive runs that, quite frankly, maybe at the beginning of the season, you didn't really expect to make this much noise. Like what was, it, what was the team for you or a team for you that really stood out to you so far this season? I got one for you, Cleveland. Yeah. And I mean, obviously now, like with the news yesterday or a couple days ago about Evan Mobley being out for a few weeks, but that's like, that's not a long-term injury. They said he'll be back in two to four weeks. So I'm not really that worried about that, but like the, 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 the combination of him and uh, Lowry Markinen, who obviously Bulls fans know well, and maybe don't have great positive opinions about, and then also Jared Allen, that yeah. three big lineup was kind of working. And I also like, Darius Garland I mean obviously losing Colin Sexton for the mm-hmm. season or for most of the season is not great but Darius Garland I like a lot of what he's brought uh and you know Ricky Rubio I think has been a nice fit there and I also I think J.B. Bickerstaff and I'm really happy for him because he's a guy that has gotten a few interim coach jobs where he hasn't been thrown into a great situation like he got the you know the Memphis job when Kevin McHale got fired and like James Harden and Dwight Howard, like didn't like each other. And that was like kind of a rough situation. Yeah. He got the Memphis interim job when they fired David Fisdale. And like, it was the end of the Marc Gasol, uh, Mike Conley, like that whole group. And then he got the Cavs job when John Beeline, like supposedly accidentally said players were thugs instead of slugs. Remember that whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> like, and so he kind of gets, you know, gets taken, you know, he gets, he takes over these, these jobs in kind of these not great situations where he isn't really put in a position to succeed. And now he finally has a situation where he has some good young players that I think pretty clearly, even if like, let's say he only misses a couple weeks. I think pretty clearly Evan Mobley is the rookie of the year. He's been incredible so far. Yeah. And they have other good young players. Like they have Darius Garland. They have Jared Allen. They have all these guys. Uh, and I think they are maybe like this year's Knicks where, you know, they're not a title team by any means, but they're a team that maybe people didn't think was going to be a playoff team going into the year, but maybe they're a low playoff seed. And now people are looking at Cleveland, which people have kind of thought they were just a joke ever since LeBron left. And they've really never been relevant unless LeBron has been there. Now they're kind of building something. So that's a team I've enjoyed watching. Obviously the next couple of weeks are going to be kind of rough without Evan Mobley, but if he gets back and, that's not a serious long-term thing. Once he gets back, that team, I think, is still going to be pretty good. And the, the other team for me outside of Cleveland, like you mentioned, that really stood out to me was Washington. Now, I mean, yeah. it's funny how you talk about with the Wizards, you know, Kyle Kuzma coming out and saying pretty much Cleveland was trash until LeBron brought him <laughs> championship. I mean, he's not, he's not wrong. He's, he's not, not wrong. wrong. He's not David, wrong I mean, Joe, Joe, Keem, Joe Keem Noah has said similar things very famously. Yeah, I mean, Joe Kim, but I mean, but it's crazy because Kyle, Kyle Kuzma just said, like, you know, the team has been trash since LeBron left and came back and all of that. Joe Kim was just like, the team sucks and your city's trash. I don't even want to come to your city. So that's like a whole other, uh, yeah. <laughs> a whole other like statement per se. But I think Washington really stood out to me as well, especially when you talk about if you compare about how Russ is doing with the Lakers right now 
and the signing of Spencer Dinwiddie in Washington, I think having that lineup with Kuzma, Katavis Caldwell Pope, and Harrell as the guys that they brought from that Lakers team really boosted them to that next level. And I'm happy for Wes Unsell Jr. For him oh, to yeah. take on He's done a good job guy. there. He's done a good job there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that those two teams, especially when you talk about, obviously, Cleveland for sure, but Washington, considering where they were last year, in yeah. that same pool as the Bulls were trying to get this, and they eventually did make the playoffs, but, you know, it, was a, it wasn't. And here's the other part of the Washington thing that's so crazy. They're winning this much. Bradley Beal has not been good. It's not even just a case of yeah. like, oh, this is our superstar carrying us, and he's just so good that he's putting this kind of mediocre collection of role players on his back. And Bradley Beal has not been that good, and they are still winning because they're getting contributions from whether it be Kyle Kuzma or Spencer Dinwiddie or KCP or any of these other guys. Like it's, and yeah, Jamal Mosley is, or, or not Jamal Mosley. That's, that's Orlando. Uh, Wes Unsell Jr. Uh, he, you know, he's done, he's done a good job. Yeah. It's, I'm, it's, it's just crazy seeing all these different teams that you never really thought would make a, a good roar, but you know, they are definitely making some noise up in the league. Um, as we get on out of here, um, Sean, talk just real briefly, what you got coming up next so our followers and our audience can, you know, tap, continue to tap into what you got, uh, what you're doing, what you got coming up next for us to pay attention to. Well, you can always follow my work at Bleacher Report. You follow, I think the easiest way to do it, I would say, is to follow me on Twitter mm-hmm. at Hiken. And I, anytime I write something or I'm a podcast on a podcast or whatever the case may be, I'll share the link there. That's kind of the easiest thing to do. I have a few things, nothing I can really say publicly, but I have a few things I'm working on right now that I'm pretty excited about that are going to be coming up. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely be, um, we'll definitely pay attention to those things and and looking forward to seeing those new projects and those things coming out. Um, Everybody, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Josh M. Hicks Media, and you can follow War Media on all all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, um, YouTube, you name it, we're all over. You can catch this podcast as well, not just on YouTube, but also on all podcast platforms. We're on Anchor, um, Google Podcasts, Apple, Pod- Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we're all over the place. And as we wind down, Sean, I want to thank you so much for coming to my show. I really appreciate it. I'm going to, obviously, I'm going to continue to follow the work and the things that you do, so continue to do those uh, great things. And Hope to keep in touch with you, man. Hopefully, um, you know, we can see each other eventually in person, whenever that may be. Um, yeah, I am I am tentatively planning on being in Chicago in May for the Combine. Okay. Which is an event that I used to always cover every year before COVID. Right. Okay. But I'm tentatively planning on doing that. So, yeah, like, that would be great. No, this was a lot of fun. Keep doing your thing, man. Anything I can ever do to help or whatever, let me know. Oh, I really appreciate that for real. You have a, you continue to have a good rest of your evening, and um, wish you wish you wish you the best throughout this NBA season and keep in touch with you. Yeah.